So in our passage this weekend, Peter is going to describe, he's going to describe our adversary, the devil. And he says this about the devil. He says, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And what I find, and maybe you do too, is especially this time of year, and I just, just a side comment, are the yards getting more ghoulish than ever before? I mean, we used to dress up with like sheets and cut holes in the sheets and my mom would get all mad at us. Those days are long gone, man. There's some creepy stuff out there. But this, this is where our society is, right? And too often when we think of Satan, when we think of the devil, we think of uh, the picture of demon possession and exorcisms and, and, you know, all these ungodly, unholy things going on and this, these incredible evil manifestations. And certainly Hollywood has, has tried to bring that out. But Peter's going to show us something that's really very important for us to see as we close our time in First Peter. He's going to show us that though Satan may roar like a lion, he's as subtle as a snake. And he will, he'll get you before you know what hits you. And so we're going to examine an area of our lives that Satan loves to exploit. It's the area of worry and anxiety. Boy, I'll tell you what, if this year hasn't brought you to a place where you struggle with anxiety and worry, I don't know, frankly. But you know what? The enemy loves to use worry and anxiety. It's one of his greatest tools. We're going to talk about that because that's what Peter talks about. He doesn't talk about exorcisms. He doesn't talk about casting out demons. He talks about worry. He talks about anxiety. And he talks about pride. We're going to look at those. So after talking to the elders and after talking, and that's where we were last week, he said to the elders and the shepherds, the under shepherds, he said, you know, do your job, (laughs) do your job, right? But now he's talking to the rest of the body, the sheep, right? And he's warning them. He's saying, you need to be ready. You need to be prepared. And it's interesting what he focuses on because he's closing his letter and he says, you know, you're going to go through suffering. You're going to go through trials. You're going to go through tribulations. But here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to know. So if you want to join me, I'm going to be reading 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, starting at verse 5 through the end of the book. Let me read it to you. I'll try it without my glasses. We'll see how it goes. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Look at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that you may prosper, uh, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, would you, if you're, whatever you're using, whether it's a, a printed Bible or a, a device like this, would you underline that? Verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And then verse 8, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him 
firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And may I say this just for a minute? In America, there's a lot of people saying, we're suffering, we're struggling. We are. But not compared to the rest of the world. Let's just put things in perspective, folks. There are brothers and sisters around the world that can't even meet like we are right now. And it's not because of COVID. Notice what he says. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to stop there. Um, there's a couple of things that we need to learn. And the, f the first thing is that he says, humble yourself. And the question is, how are we going how are we to humble ourselves and if we are aren't willing to humble ourselves how are we going to receive his grace and here's here's what it means to humble yourself and to receive his grace there's two things that people do with the gospel and the gospel is god giving us what we don't deserve it's god being gracious to us and giving us what we don't deserve right and people will not receive his grace. They will not receive the gospel. And there's two main reasons why people will not receive the, the grace of God, the gospel of God. The first one is they think, I'm too good. I'm too good to receive the gospel. I, you know, listen, I, I don't need his grace. I don't need his grace. Some people think, well, you know, I'm not perfect, <laughs> but I'm not that bad. I have a few rough edges, but... They're just rough edges. I mean, I'm not killing people. I'm not, I haven't murdered anybody. I, you know, and some believe, believe they just need to knock off a few rough edges. And no one wants to admit that they really are lost and in desperate need of a savior. Have you noticed that? It's kind of like the husband who's driving around at night with his wife and family and he's lost. And his wife asks him that question. Do you know where you are? <laughs> you kind of want to say, uh, well, you know what you will say if you're a guy. You say, yes, I know where I am. Now, with the phones and all that, uh, we, we do a little better job. But essentially, we go, yeah, I know where I am. And I remember my wife asking me that one time. And we were driving around, and we were lost. And, of course, I didn't want to admit it. And she says, do you know where we are? And I go, yeah, we're in the United States. <laughs> I think we're still in New York, too. <laughs> but that's how we are spiritually. We think, I don't want to admit that I'm lost. I don't want to admit that I need help. I don't want to admit that. But the Bible tells us that we're incredibly lost. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The key word, all. Uh, Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does, does good, not even one. And, and that's pretty inclusive, isn't it? We don't want to admit that. But that's what the Scripture says over and over and over. And unless you're willing to admit that you're lost, 
You can never be found, right? So that's one, that's one way that, that we, we fail to receive God's grace. We, we fail to humble ourselves and say, well, I'm lost and I need a savior, right? But, but the second way is, and it sounds so spiritual, I'm too bad to receive his gospel. I've gone too far. I've done too much. If you only knew, if I only told you, if I told you what I did, you would know that God could never forgive me after all that I've done. Now, on the surface, that sounds so, so spiritual. Here's a person who's acknowledging they're lost. But you know what they're doing, too? They're claiming that the grace of God isn't enough. They're claiming that Jesus, when he uttered those last three words on the cross, it is finished. It wasn't really finished. It wasn't really done, right? It wasn't really over. It wasn't really complete. Have you heard people like that? Do you know people like that? Oh, I'm just pastor. I just, I just wish I could believe it, but... And yet, clearly, Scripture says that Christ came to be the once and for all sacrifice for the sins of the world. You know, both positions believe they must earn salvation. They feel like, I have to do my part, I have to pull my weight, I have to do enough. The Bible says that we're dead in our sins. Until we come to a place where we're dead, we'll never receive His grace. And unless you humble yourselves, you'll think this. You'll think, I'm not, ba- I'm not that bad or God's really not that mad. That's really what it comes down to, isn't it? Well, the, the thing we want to talk about is, point two, is we must humble ourselves to receive his grace. And he's, right off the bat, Peter says, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. And, and, and the opposite of humility is what? Pride, right? And so how does pride lead to our, and this is what he's going to get at, because a lot of what we struggle with and a lot of what we're struggling with, and a lot of people are struggling right now with our world today is, is worry and anxiety, right? Have you felt like the, the graph has gone up in your life, that you're a little bit more anxious? You're a little more worried. You're a little more on edge. Why is that? Well, what is anxiety? Here's what anxiety is. Worry and anxiety comes when we dismiss his love and concern for us. Anxiety basically just shows a lack of trust in God. Now, what has God given us? What, what is it that God has done for us that we should trust him, right? I mean, isn't that where trust comes? Trust comes when somebody proves to you that they're on your side, that they have your best interests, that they're willing to make a sacrifice for you, and they've done it. Paul says this in Romans. He says, "What then? this is Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. Let me read it to you. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us... Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? 
You see Paul's argument there? Paul's argument is is very simple. He says, can we trust our Father who has offered his Son for us? Can we? His argument is, can we trust his Son who willingly went to the cross and gave his life for us? Can we? In other words, if God would give us his Son and if Jesus would give his love life, why would we not think that God would abandon us in our time of need? Why would we think that? Worry and anxiety come when we trust our own feelings and opinions rather than God's promises and actions. That's really what it comes down to. And that's why if you are struggling with worry and anxiety, the first thing I'll say to you is, what are you doing as far as taking the promises from God's word into your life? What he says about you, what he says to you, and how he says he will care for you. Are you taking those in? I mean, First Peter, there it is. Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? For he cares for you. Are you hearing that? Or are you seeing and hearing all of the other things that are going on that are out of control? Out of your control. You go, what am I going to do? See, if you can't say to God, God, I don't understand what's happening around me or to me, but I know you love me. And I know you haven't forgotten or forsaken me. So I choose to trust you now. Instead of anxiously focusing on your problems, you focus on the goodness, grace, and mercy, and love of God. That's, that's how you, 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 you win this battle. Instead of, and he says this, he said, instead of carrying the weight of, of, of your worries and your concerns, you cast them off, you throw them off, you give them over. And that's why he says, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Many of you walked in here, and you may not even know it, many of you online, you right now feel weighed down. You're, 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 you're anxious, you're worried, you're nervous, you're upset. Or maybe you find that the littlest thing gets you set off and you just, you just, it just ignites it. You're like a kindling and you're, we had a, I set, started a fire for the, the uh, ladies, mops ladies, they had a little campfire and I started a fire and I did this dry wood and put a match to it that was really windy and then all of a sudden the kindling caught and it, it just went up and it was just this one little match that I could barely light. But once that match got lit, man, it was like, I think this is going to have to die down. These ladies aren't going to get near this thing. It's blazing. You say, well, why is that flaring up so hard and harsh and fast? Because you're carrying the weight of worry and anxiety. You're, you're, you're worried about things you can't control anyways. You haven't cast them off. You haven't given them over. Peter says, cast your cares, your anxieties, your worries on him. Because he cares for you. He loves you. That's what you need to do. But we have to humble ourselves. We have to believe that God is trust. We can trust him and he is looking out for us. And he does care for us. Instead of anxiously focusing on your problems, you focus on the goodness, grace, mercy, and love of God. All right. Unless we humble ourselves, we're going to miss 
the real enemy and we're going to be ill-equipped for the spiritual battle. So this is, this is where he gets into the whole spiritual warfare. Paul does it at the end of his epistle. We're going to be, the next book we're going to study in two weeks, we're going to start the book of Ephesians. And at the end of the book of Ephesians, of Ephesians Paul basically starts talking about a spiritual battle that we're in. Well, Peter's kind of making reference to it, but he's, do, he's not doing as a developed of a thing as, as Paul does, but it's really important. So C.S. Lewis says, we make a big mistake about the devil. We, we, we say either there's a devil behind every bush or we dismiss the devil completely. We say there is no devil, there is no Satan. And I want to talk about those two things. The first one is, that we dismiss the devil. We say, well, we're educated, we're sophisticated, we're too sophisticated, we're too educated to believe in the devil. Of course they believed in it back then, before science, before we knew. Now we know much more. We don't believe in the supernatural. We don't believe in the devil. Jesus did, right? I believe he had a duel with the devil. Matthew chapter 4. I believe Paul believed in the devil. Um, in fact, Paul writes this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In other words, what Paul is saying, there's a battle going on behind the curtain that you can't see. It's a spiritual curtain. It's a spiritual dimension, but it's as real as the physical. Now, this is not something you start talking about at your company Christmas party, whether your company's having one this year or not, you just don't bring this up and start talking about it because people look at you like, what are you, a crazy person? But Paul says this is as real as everything else that you see, touch, hear, taste. It's spiritual. Are you willing to sound like a crazy person in our sophisticated world? Are you willing to believe things that our world dismisses as ancient and uneducated? Are you willing to humble yourself and believe what the Bible te clearly teaches? Are you willing to take seriously your enemy? And Peter says you have an enemy whether you know it or not. He is very slick and he is very he knows you very well. And by the way, let me just say this disclaimer. The devil is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere and he's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. But Paul describes principalities and powers and rulers. He has demons. He has all of these things at his, uh, at his side. First thing is we dismiss the devil. The second thing is we see a devil behind every bush. We have an unhealthy concern and we have a, a fear of the devil. You, you see a demon behind every natural disaster and, and every disease and everything. And it's, it's you know, the, uh, here's the thing, though. It's interesting what Peter, Peter does here. Peter basically shows us that the, the big issue with the devil is, uh, like I said, he, he doesn't manifest himself in a very public way most of the time. Generally speaking, he's very, he's very sly and very slick and very behind the scenes. 
You don't even know he's there until he's, until he's there. But here's the other problem. The devil isn't our only problem. The Bible says we have three problems. The devil, the flesh, and the world, the world system. There's an evil world system. There's, a, a, there's evil in the world. There's a system uh, that is just evil that will drag you down. But there's also an inner sin nature that we have. And then we have the devil. So it's not just the devil because some people would say, well, the devil made me do it. Well, the devil may have been a part or a player, but so were you. And, and it's really important for us to understand that because the Bible clearly says that we have an inner sinful nature that can be manipulated by the, the devil, demons, whatever, however you want to call it. But we've allowed ourselves to be influenced by the powers, these evil spiritual powers, um, by our actions and choices. So let me give you an example. Um, let me just say this first. The devil can't control you, but the devil will absolutely play the strings that you give him. When you give him, uh, think of the devil as taking the strings of your life, and when you give him control over certain areas of your life, he will use them and he will abuse them. Let me give you an example just so we know what we're talking about. You get into a disagreement with somebody, right? You have a choice with that string of disagreement to allow it to settle, allow it to go away, dismiss it, move away from it, find a peace with it, give it away, or you can tighten the string a little bit. And you can let it fester. You can let it turn into an argument. You can let it turn into not just an argument, but an, a battle. You, you, you may even allow it to grow into resentment and, and, and a root of bitterness in your life. And, and I just would say this, is there somebody or something in your life that when you hear their name or you think of them, you immediately go to a bad place? What's going on there? You've allowed a string to be tightened by the devil. You've allowed him to control you. You've given the enemy the strings to manipulate you. You've allowed your pride to be used by the enemy against you. Like I said, Satan is very clever. He's not going to come out and he's not going to jump out and say, I'm the devil and you have to... No, he's not going to do that. What he is going to do is he's going to take something, a string that you give him. It could be worry. It could be that's 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 Peter's point. Worry and anxiety. The devil loves it when you're worried and you're anxious. Loves absolutely loves it. Have you ever wondered why lions roar? One of the reasons that lions roar is because they are basically saying to every animal in there that can hear it. This is my territory. This is my territory. This belongs to me. And Peter tells us that the, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. What he's saying, what Peter's saying here is that we live in a world that he controls for now. 
that we're living in enemy territory, that we are at war, that we're in a spiritual battle. And if you don't understand that, you are a sitting duck. But we have an enemy that is very clever and will take whatever strings that we want to allow him to tighten and he will use them. Pride, anxiety, worry, lust, anger. Pride and worry are some of his best strings. Pride and worry are two of the tools the enemy uses to defeat us. He wants us to give up on God. He wants us to say, God, you don't care for me. And Paul's argument, as we read before, was, what do you mean he doesn't care for you? If he gave his son and Jesus willingly gave his life, how much more could he, what, what more could he do to show that he cares for you? That he's invested? What more could he do? Remember this idea of getting you to question the goodness of God. This is what he has been doing from the beginning. Let me read you a passage. This is Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. Do you notice the description is given? The first descriptor is given to him. He's crafty. We're not very smart about this, are we? We fall for it all the time, don't you? This anger, this worry, this anxiety, this lust. We just fall for it all the time. We're just knuckleheads, right? Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any of the trees in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may not eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and that you must not touch it or you will die. That's not what God said, but let's move on. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, the enemy is saying to the woman, God doesn't really care for you. You're competition to God. You can't trust him. He uses the same thing. He uses the same strength in your life today. You can't trust God. See, when we reject his grace, when we reject his love, we have allowed the devil to put a wedge between us and God. The enemy wants you to question God's goodness. He wants you to believe that God has abandoned you in your hour of need. Paul tells us at the end of uh, his uh, letter in Ephesians, he says this, and he says, this is how you fight the enemy. Because Peter doesn't tell us how to fight the enemy. He just kind of says, persevere, and, you know, he gives us kind of a big descriptor. But, 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 but Paul tells us, he says this, he says, this is Ephesians 6, verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What do you do with a sword? You've watched those old movies or the newer movies with swords. What do they do with swords? What do you do in a sword fight? You basically defend yourself, right? <laughs> you put the sword up to keep, keep them from lopping your head off. 
And you use it as an offensive weapon, right? You use it to defend yourself, but you use it to to be an offensive one weapon, right? Let me read you a passage, and we see Jesus. This is uh, Matthew chapter 4. And Jesus being tempted by the enemy. Notice how Jesus uses the sword of the Spirit. And, and all this, and the reason I'm pointing this out is because the reason that you're struggling with worry and anxiety is because you're not allowing the Word of God to say to your heart, to say to your soul, to say to your person what you need to hear from God, who He is, how much He cares, because you have another enemy that's whispering in your ear that He doesn't care, He doesn't trust you, and He's allowing you to escalate some of these strings in your life, and you're just giving them over to them, Him. And notice what the enemy he does here. This is Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Let me just stop there for a minute. Some of us are feeling like God has abandoned us because we're going through difficult times. Jesus was led by God into the wilderness to be tempted. So just because you're going through a difficult time doesn't mean God has abandoned you. He may be leading you. It doesn't mean he doesn't care. It does mean he has a plan. It may not be the plan you want, but it's the plan that's best for you. He says, let me read it. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry I'm, I gotta be honest with you, I'm hungry after about half an hour. I'd be a basket case at, you know, if I went 12 hours, I'd be a basket case. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written. What is he saying? The word of God says this. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see what's going on here? Jesus is doing what Paul Paul tells us to do. Use the sword of the Spirit. He cares for you. He loves you. Don't allow the enemy, because the enemy is not going to, to, to jump out and scare you. The enemy is going to be very subtle as a serpent. And he is going to pull the strings that you give to him. And he will manipulate them. And you, if you're honest, you look at your life and you'll look back at an episode and you say, how in the world did I allow myself to go there? You did it. Because you gave a string to the enemy and he began to tighten it. And it began to escalate and get tighter and tighter and tighter. And the one that we've been talking about is worry and anxiety. And Peter says, if you will humble yourself, if you will acknowledge this is bigger than you, that if you will cast your care upon him, if you will see the enemy working behind the scenes, you will make it. And no matter what, how difficult time the times get, you'll never feel abandoned. You'll always know that He cares for you, and you'll make it. But if you don't see that coming, you're a sitting duck. Because this is His world for now. 
Are you ready? Let's close with three words by Jesus. It is written. Do we believe it or not? That's really what it comes down to. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the word that you give to us, the word of encouragement, the word of warning, the word of correction. We've heard it. Now the question is, what are we going to do with it? Are we going to believe it? Are we going to trust it? Or are we going to listen to the enemy who wants to whisper lies into our ears? Father, it may be some in this room or listening or watching are filled with worry and anxiety. They're, they're tighter than a drum right now and they don't know why. They wonder whether you even care. May they hear the word of God where Peter clearly tells us Cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. May that be the word we take away, Father, this week and the weeks to come. May we take the strings back, and may we allow your word to speak into our lives the truth that we need to hear. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.